Well, it's wonderful to be with you this evening. It's uh, nice that we also have our son, Josiah. We weren't planning on having him with us. And our dear friend, Thomas. Uh, So it won't just be Allison this weekend with us. So how's everyone doing this evening? Just full of energy? (laughs) Or worn out? (laughs) Or maybe a combination of both. Kind of. We can be kind of worn out and then when the blessings of the Sabbath come, the Lord wants to give us new energy, right? All right, even at the end end of a busy week. Well, tonight we're not really going to share with you a message, per se. We're going to talk about the turning point of our life, of our life as a family, when our children were very, very little. So we're, we're entitling this Our Turning Point. So it's not really a, a message, is it, dear? Just sharing a testimony. You know, all of us have turning points. I'm sure if you thought just for a moment, you could think of two or three or four, maybe more, turning points in your experience, right? How many of you even in the short span of the last phrase I just shared, could think of some turning points in your life. Isn't that amazing how the mind works? So all of us could, you know, share about those turning points, and they're very important. Some of those turning points may, may not have been the most positive experiences, but nonetheless, God used them, and we're going to be focusing on a very positive turning point in our experience. We were at Hinsdale. How many of you have ever heard of Hinsdale? <laughs> okay. Probably hear of Hinsdale when you're at Loma Linda. You hear of Loma Linda when you're at Hinsdale. And that's where we met. Wasn't that wonderful, dear? Yes, it was. Actually, <laughs> I'm... I got to get my wife from Loma Linda. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> she came to Hinsdale to to allow us to come together. That didn't embarrass you, did it? No. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't on our notes. (laughs) We were in our late 20s when the Lord began to show us that where we were and how we were living our lives was not the way we wanted to continue. We were, at that time, the parents of two children, two girls, Allison and Emily. Josiah, who is now our biggest boy, (laughs) wasn't even in the picture then. When God began to open our eyes, we were very involved in our medical careers at Hinsdale and very involved in our church work. I was the personal ministries director of a 1,300-member church there at Hinsdale. That's a lot of responsibility for a 28-year-old. And my wife and I were involved in all kinds of church programs, weren't we, dear? You remember some of those? Very many of them. From social <laughs> committee to Sabbath school teacher to revelation seminars and... To in-gathering leaders. leaders and we found out something very interesting. That in big churches, it's no different than little churches. Do you know that? In big churches, it's still only a few people do a lot of the work. In little churches, it's only a few people that do all the work. The difference is in big churches you can hide if you want to hide. You can just find a little group and just fade away and hide there. Our medical careers were moving forward. What did you do, dear? Well, I came to Hinsdale to do nurse recruitment, but after we were married, which was a big turning point in our lives, um, and we had children, which is another big turning point in our lives, uh, I left full-time work and went part-time in doing intensive care nursing and was very active in advancing my degrees and my certifications because that was my focus in life, to be married, to have a family, and a career. Isn't that the the way it is in America today? We got our first home. Yeah, that was another turning point for us, wasn't it? (laughs) Yeah, and we talked about living in the country before we had children, remember that? Before we were even married, we talked about (laughs) it. But we couldn't figure out how you could live in the country 
and work in the kind of environment where we wanted to work. It's kind of like living in the country and working in Loma Linda, right? <laughs> they don't seem to cohabitate too easily. But we were buying our first home, and that was exciting. That was a big step. You know, you signed this 30-year mortgage for all of these dollars every month. And um, it was interesting that even though we wanted and desired to live in a more quiet location, especially when we were when we would start a family, that all those things seemed to pass us by when we looked at what would be convenient for us. You know what I mean by convenient? We wanted to be close to the hospital so we didn't have much time to commute. So we bought a home that was a mile from the hospital. It was a very big hospital with a lot of activity going on. So we were right in the main route for all the ambulance service to that hospital. We were one, one block from the main highway, we were two blocks north of main east-west railroad tracks into Chicago, and we were also in the main approach corridor, approach corridor for O'Hare International Airport. So we I didn't know all these things, you know, quite as much as we found out as we lived there. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't part of what they tell you when you're looking for a house. That's what you learn after you buy the house. All of a sudden, you hear all these noises around you, and the trains would come. I mean, the commuter trains, the freight trains, day and night, and the house would rattle and the windows would shake, and you know, it was, you know, but we adjusted to it. And it wasn't long before we weren't really hearing the jets go over and we really weren't noticing the trains going by all times of day and night and we weren't really even attuned to the house shaking. And the only time we really tuned into the sirens is if we were on call because we figured if they're going by, we're likely going to be going in. So um, that's when we turned, tuned into those things. But we had a very comfortable life. Well, something else that we didn't understand, and that was that while all these noises, and those are just physical representations of the busyness of our lives in Hinsdale, that while we quieted down all those noises around us and we got used to them, do you know what else happened to us? See how quiet it got in here? We also quieted down in a real connection to God. That's what started happening. But just like we didn't say one day, hey, did you notice that we didn't hear the planes anymore? Hey, did you notice that we weren't hearing Highway 83 anymore? Did you notice it doesn't matter that the house rattles anymore? You don't say those kind of things because you don't notice them anymore. And so we weren't saying to each other, do you notice that we don't have any time for God anymore? And it was very interesting. I would get up as late as I could get up in the morning in order to have a little bit of time with God. A little bit. Because I was a Christian, right? I needed time with God. I knew that. But I was so tired. Every morning I was so tired. Do you know why I was so tired? Anybody want to guess? A little, little, little one right there. Why was I so tired? That's right. <laughs> and I didn't go to bed very early either. <laughs> I was very tired. My wife was tired. And you know, God understands that, right? He certainly does. But does God like that? That we don't really have time for him? And so I would just have a quick devotional page, you know, and a quick prayer, a very quick prayer. I would call it a very distracted prayer. Do you know what a distracted prayer is? That means that while you're praying, your mind starts running in different directions. That's a distracted prayer. And all of a sudden you think, how did I get there? I thought I was praying. I was having distracted prayers because my mind was racing. And that's why God says, Be still and know that I am God. Now, it's hard to be still. It was hard for me to be still in that environment because I was allowing so many things to crowd in upon me. And our lives were just as good 
maybe even better than some people in Hinsdale. You know that? That's why they asked me to be an elder in the church. That's why they asked us to be the ingathering leaders. That's why they asked me to do personal ministries. Because we, we had a nice life. But we didn't have a vital connection to the power of God. Is that important? And I believe that's why you're here tonight. Until one Friday night, that was the biggest turning point in our Christian lives. One Friday night. Do you remember that Friday night, dear? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, pretty rare to have any quiet night in our home. But if there would be one, it would likely be a Friday evening. And it was this Friday evening that we were, it was winter time, and we were sitting down in our basement. We had a nice fireplace down there and we had the fire crackling you know in the winter time it's wonderful because the sun sets early doesn't it so we wind down our week a little earlier than normal we actually have enough time to even talk a little bit you know because sun may be going down at five o'clock in the evening and our girls were still up because it was early in the evening and they were already bathed ready for sabbath in their little pink pajamas already for bed <laughs> And we were sitting in the basement there talking and enjoying the fire and visiting and the girls were playing and they would bring their little books to us or their little toys and they asked me to hold them for them. They'd come back and get them and, you know, we were having a little time together. That was also pretty rare in those days, wasn't it? Well, the kind of time we were having together was yeah, rare. Yeah, that kind of time. And uh, as we went through the evening... It was about, probably about an hour, and uh, we were just, I think, getting ready to wind down with the girls. And Tom looked at me, and he asked me a question that I'll never forget. He asked me, what is the most important thing you can accomplish in this life? Pretty profound question, huh? Not the typical question that would come out of someone's mouth, is it? Not out of my mouth or not out of his mouth. I mean, you know, we live busy lives. We don't have time to think that deep. What's the most important thing that I can accomplish in this life? Now, I'm a pretty decisive person, a pretty organized person, a very directed person. And I had my life planned out. We're going to have our children. We did want a son, whenever whenever that would be. But, you know, I wanted to finish my finished my bachelor's degree, I'd done that, was heading for my master's, getting some special certifications in my career, get the children old enough to go to school, so what could I do with my life? Advance professionally. You know, this was the path that I was on. And we, you know, we believed in raising our children, and so when the children came along, I went to part-time work because I wanted to be home to raise them. But when he asked me that question that night, instead of answering quickly, which is my natural response, I hesitated. I paused and I reflected. And you know, that's really good for every one of us. Not to be so quick to answer, but be quick to hear what the Lord wants to tell us. And as I just waited that brief moment, my mind instantly replayed the events of the evening the simplicity of the children, the enjoyment they had, the time that we had together just to be relaxed, to be a family. And I realized what was most important to me in this life would be to know that our girls would be ready for the kingdom of God. And that's what I told him, to see our girls in the kingdom of God, in heaven, And to seek Jesus place that crown of life on their head. That was the most important thing to me. Well, I wasn't actually expecting that answer. I was very taken back. Now, you know, sometimes, like just now, when I shared that, it takes me back a little bit because why wouldn't we be expecting that? I'm involved in personal ministries. We're giving Bible studies. Well, Of course we expect that. Don't we all expect that? But the real problem was that our lives 
Our lifestyle was crushing out the reality of that. Just like the sounds of the train and the traffic were quieted down, the reality of that Christian experience in that environment, in that lifestyle, was quieting down. And so when my wife said that, it just struck me. And then I didn't speak very fast. And I finally I said to her, Honey, then something's got to change in our lives. You know what that something was? Us. If we want to see our children in the kingdom of heaven, we can't go on living our lives the way we're living our lives. We weren't living bad lives, okay? I don't think you people are living bad lives, are you? How many people, raise your hand if you're living a bad life? Nobody wants to feel like you're living a bad life, right? We weren't living a bad life. We were just living a life as professing Christians disconnected from the power of God. Is that a bad life? That's the worst life in the world. Especially when you don't recognize it. That's that right. That's our problem. That's Laodicea, right? You're blind, naked, and you don't even know it. And that night, God began to open our eyes. That night, that was a turning point for us. And that night, we knelt together with our little girls in their footy pajamas. We put them between us. And we made a commitment to God that night. And I prayed this prayer. Lord, I will go wherever you ask me to go. I will do whatever you ask me to do. I will give up anything that you ask me to give up. If I can hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And see the crown of life placed upon the heads of my children. We have never turned back from that commitment to God. Now, let me hasten to clarify what I mean by never turning back. Does that mean we've never made a mistake, never stumbled, never... Oh, we've made plenty of mistakes and we've stumbled. And we've made wrong choices. But from that day, we began to catch a new vision of what God was calling us to do if we were going to hear those words, well done. And from that, we have never turned back. And that commitment that night began to set in motion a whole new chain of events in our lives. It's interesting. The first thing that came to both our minds was the environment that we lived in. Because we recognized that we ourselves had been... Uh, our spiritual life was dying and we didn't realize it until that evening and we recognize that if we really want our children to be in heaven we want them to love god we want them to be his children then we had to also love god and learn to be his children because we can't teach them something we don't know we can't uh we can tell them what to do but we have to show them through our experience. And so that night, as we began, as, as we made that commitment that night, the Lord, the, just like an a arrow to our heart, challenged us with where we're living. Where we're living has a direct influence on the spiritual makeup of us. And so that night, and from that point forward, we set about in motion to do the first thing God had showed us to do, and that is to begin to prepare to go somewhere that God would direct to experience what he wanted us to grow into with him. The first step of that for us was to begin to change right where we were. And this is one of the things that many people miss. They think that they put their focus and their energy into getting into a better circumstance. That isn't how God works. If you find yourself living in Loma Linda today, this is what God wants to work with you today. 
You know, we could spend the rest of this evening for as many hours as you'd like to sit here telling you story after story of people's lives who have heard the call of the Lord to deal with their lives beginning where they are and then has taken them into another setting to do His will. Now, does that mean we can't do God's will in Hinsdale? What do you think? No. No. Can we do God's will in Loma Linda? Absolutely. The key here is God's will. Okay? Are you in God's will? If you know that you're in God's will, then you will also know that you have a vital connection to the power of God. If you don't have a vital connection to God through Jesus Christ, then you don't know if you're in God's will. That's not a play on words. That's a reality. So tonight, we're not here, you know, as I talked with Norman as we were planning the, the weekend. This is not a country living seminar this weekend, although we do country living seminars. We talked about just weaving a little bit of our experience and that's why we're opening with a little bit of our testimony because if God wants you in Loma Linda then that's where you need to be but if you're so busy in Loma Linda like we were in Hinsdale that you don't know what God's will is then you better begin right now to slow down long enough to hear what saith my Lord concerning this matter. Because if you're in Loma Linda and you're not supposed to be here, you're in big trouble. Do you understand that? And I don't want your blood to be upon me. Because where we're headed right now in this world is going to be like nothing we've ever seen Mm. before. And that isn't... I don't like to work off hype and sensationalism, but that's a reality where we are heading in this world right now. And where we're heading is only going to be a safe journey if we are connected to the power of Jesus Christ. Mm. And then if you're in Loma Linda when it all comes apart, you're with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But a blow unto the man or woman, wherever they are on this earth, if they're not connected to Jesus Christ. So that's really the message. Okay? And we began to recognize that, yes, Lord, you're showing us our condition. You're beginning to show us our undoneness. But what do we do? Well, we begin where we are. You know how I began? I began on my knees saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? Don't be afraid to ask the Lord that question. I was afraid for a period of time. Don't be afraid to ask the Lord that question. Some people, I've talked to so many people that are afraid to ask the Lord, what do you want me to do, Lord? What wilt thou have me to do? You know why people are afraid of that? Why do you think? Okay. Oh, people are afraid that it means they might have to give up something that they cherish. I tell you, God will never ask you to give up anything that you cherish unless cherishing that will cause you to separate from Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Is it good to give something up that separates us from Christ? So the Lord began to show me as I asked him, one step at a time, day by day, he showed me. I needed to start saying no. How many of you like to say no? (laughs) It's not an easy thing, is it? I tell you, one of the reasons that we have the wrong kind of busyness. I want to just clarify something here. Some people think that being busy is connected to Satan. I do not agree with that. Okay? I just read recently, Jesus Christ was the busiest man that ever walked the earth. Was he connected to Satan? Mm Mm-mm. The question is, who is controlling the busyness? Who is controlling my life? If my life is controlled by the devil, if my circumstances are one distraction after another and I'm controlled by my circumstances, then busyness is a scourge, right? 
Do you understand the difference? But if I'm controlled by the Lord and my circumstances are not controlling me, but I'm asking the Lord, what would you have me to do? Then busyness is connected to godliness. And so I started saying no to the nominating committee. That was shocking to the nominating committee. Because they knew that if they asked me to do something, I would always say, yes. Isn't that the Christian thing to do? The Lord showed me this was something that came to me that was very simple and yet very powerful. Whenever we add something to our life, when the nominating committee calls and we say yes, we're adding something to our life, right? I began to recognize that whenever I added something to my life, I didn't get an extra hour in the day. We get 24 hours, rich or poor, right? So, if I get something added on, I began to recognize that I needed to ask God and my wife about what the impact would be. I'll tell you what, what I found out. When I kept adding things onto my life, guess who got cut out first? Say it. You understand the experience. Because God understands. And nobody else has to know. Right? God understands. But if we keep cutting out God, we're cutting out life. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. Okay? So I started saying, okay, now the committee calls, I'm going to talk to the Lord, I'm going to talk to my wife, and we'll decide whether I can cut something out of my life. If there's something else I can cut out without having to cut God out or cut my family out, then we'll make the decision yes. And I started doing that in my work. And I started doing that in my social commitments. And you know what? We started getting control of our lives right in Hinsdale. Now, we got upset. We, a lot of people got upset at us. Well, some people got upset at us. <laughs> because it's not easy when you say no and you're used to saying yes. Sometimes people take it personally. Sometimes people think you're being selfish. All those kind of things. But did it make a difference in our lives? Very big difference. <laughs> It's not an easy thing to do, but it's necessary to do. And when we find ourselves at a turning point in life, and we know what God is asking us to do, it always comes with a commitment. Anytime you change your course, you have to make a decision, a committed decision to make the change, right? Otherwise, you don't make any changes. And with that commitment comes action. If we do not have action, the commitment will fall by the wayside. It happens every time doesn't matter what it is. If we make a commitment, we have to take action to fulfill that commitment. And that's what we had to do. It wasn't enough to say, well, we really would like to live in the country. It wasn't enough to say we really want to get control of our lives where we are. It wasn't enough to say that we really need to start focusing on raising and training our children with the right, instead of just getting them through the day so they'd be pretty good children. It took action. And it's, you know, God loves us enough. He takes us right where we are, and he knows where the most tender spot in our heart is, and that's the cord he plucks first. That's how he used our children, because that's where we were most needful, most vulnerable, and that's where he plucked the cord. He used our children and the desire we had for them to motivate us, because we didn't even realize the course we were on was taking us away from him. So take action. For us in the area of country living, it meant that we began to research out where we would like to live. We made a list of priorities, what we'd like to accomplish or the kind of environment we would like to live in. We made that list of of ten priorities, and then we started looking for areas that would meet those priorities, those desires that we had. And we found that the more we were willing to act upon that commitment, the more exciting it was to see how God would lead. And our confidence in God began to grow. He became not something we, or someone we talked about, but someone who became more real and personal to us. And his word, now that we were going to, we were beginning to take time to really do more than a quick devotional page, and then two minutes later you couldn't say what, what you even read. Have you ever had that experience? 
It happens to all of us, right? Because we're reading because we know it's right, but we're not in tune with what we're reading. Now, if you went through medical school the same way you go through your devotional life, would you make it? (laughs) No. (laughs) You know, and I don't know how many med students there are, but you you understand what I'm saying. Anything in life that's important to us, we put our all into it. Right, boys? You put it all in. These two boys just finished flight school. They had to think and they had to, to prepare their minds. So it is with God. And so we began to see God's word become personal and encouraging and alive for us. That's good, dear. Yeah. I was really enjoying that. (laughs) Okay. Well, now it's your turn. (laughs) (laughs) We had two promises that the Lord gave us that we want to share with you tonight that were very powerful. And they are for you tonight. If you decide that you don't want to displease God in any line and that you really, as a Christian, want God to be your God. Christ to be your Savior, to be your Lord. And you don't want to hold back, okay? You don't want to hold back. I want to give you two promises that are so powerful. The first one is Psalm 32.8. We memorize these, not so much for the sake of memorizing them, but because they became so much a part of our faith experience in the, the transition from the suburbs of Chicago to the mountains of Montana, that they just became a part of our lives. The first one, Psalm 32a, says, I will instruct thee and teach thee. Does that sound like good news? I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Who is speaking here? The Lord. The Lord who says, I am the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? That's the Lord speaking. And we took that promise. And we believed it. And we claimed it. And we opened our lives up to the Lord as we were researching. What would you have us to do? And I want to tell you, God was guiding us every step of the way. Now, if you want to hear the whole story, we're not going to get into the whole story tonight, but you can, you can get it in the series that we have, A Fresh Look at Country Living. Okay? But we're not going to get into the whole story tonight. But that text and Isaiah 42, 16, which my daughter Allison wrote a song to that verse. Maybe we should sing that tonight at the end. I didn't know I was going to say that. But anyway, do something spontaneous. I like to do that kind of stuff, right? Isaiah 42, 16. I will bring the blind. Who's the blind? Raise your hand if you're blind. Okay? I felt I was in that category. I will bring the blind by a way they knew not. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I'll make darkness light before them and the crooked ways straight. This will I do unto them and not forsake them. Who's speaking there? Our Father. That same God, our Heavenly Father, is promising that He's going to bring us by a way that we knew not. He's going to lead us through these crooked ways and make them straight for us. He's going to bring the darkness into light. Is that a good promise? Oh, I tell you, friends. These are powerful promises. And they are alive today in Jesus Christ. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of surrendering yourself completely to Jesus Christ. Because he'll never do anything foolish with your life. He'll never do anything confusing for your life. He's not interested in hasty, rash decisions for your life. But he's interested in where he takes you for your life. And that's the important thing. Are we willing for him to lead us in the paths that he wants to take us in? 
for all of us, we need that turning point, that turning point of our hearts to Christ. That is where we find our peace. That is where we find our joy. That is where we have our confidence that he is leading us. And, you know, when we make that commitment, to whatever degree we understand, in whatever area God shows us, when we make that commitment to honor him with our lives, all of a sudden we find out that we really are a little bit out of harmony with those around us. Have you ever felt that way? You just kind of don't fit in with the flow of things the way you used to fit in. Whether that's in your church or in your community or in your groups of friends because now God has touched our hearts in such a way that we want to honor him, that we can trust him, and that we are willing to do anything, go anywhere, give up anything that he asks us to. You know, we, when we made this commitment, just to start putting God practically first right where we were, it touched me to cut back in my work again. You know, I work part-time six days a week. Some days I work twice in the same day, plus taking care of children in my home when, because I was considered an at-home mother. So I went to work early in the morning, got home, before my husband had to go to work. Then I took care of my children and other children all day long. He'd come home from work in the afternoon. I would go back to work. Because that's all I knew. That's what I understood. And so when God brought this conviction to me, I had to make changes there. I had to start laying off some of these other things that was keeping me from really reaching the heart of my own children. Really spending time to know them. Really teaching them how to be Christ-like. I didn't know. I had to learn it myself. And so you find that you're no longer flowing with the flow, if you know what I mean. Some people viewed us as extreme. The thought of leaving your professional careers, the security of your employment, the lovely home you're purchasing, and you're going to do what? You're, you're, you're going you're to go 1,800 miles away, and you're going to live up in the mountains of Montana, and you're not sure how you're going to make a living? Pretty, Sounds pretty, pretty extreme. Pretty extreme. All we knew was that God was asking us to take these steps of faith. And that's what we want to encourage you tonight. Whatever it is, don't be afraid to step forward. Amen. When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he brought them to a, a situation that they had to demonstrate utter dependence on him. That's what we, that's the experience we need to understand. That's what he's trying to develop in us through our circumstances. And we can't be afraid to step forward. Because we have the hosts of darkness all around. It's all around us. Anywhere we live in this world. It's just more prevalent and more obvious for those who live in this kind of a setting than where we live in the mountains of Montana. Nonetheless, the devil is just as active there as he is here. We're not saved by where we live. We're saved by who lives in us. Amen. So, don't be afraid if you don't fit in. Know that... What's most important is that you are in harmony with God. Amen. You know, it's interesting, as you just talked about, not where we live, but I want to contrast two people that were very close, and that was Abraham and Lot. If you want to look in Genesis 12 and 13, the story of the call of Abraham is very powerful. Abraham was called to take his household and move away from his family and the influences of the city that he lived in. And Lot moved with him. And you remember the story that there came to be some contention between the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abraham. And so there was a need to separate. And Abraham graciously gave his nephew the first choice. 
And Lot looked everything over and he chose the plains, the cities, where there was lots of water and commerce and an easier life. And you know, ever since the first city was founded by Cain, it's always been easier to make good money in the city environment. Did you know that? All the way through. And we found ourselves, you know, even though we had made the the commitment to each other before we were married that we didn't want to raise our children in the city environment, it's easy to get just sucked in and just locked in and not even think about it and understand it. And we know that Abraham commanded his household after God and his family was saved, Lot, while Lot was called a righteous man. It's interesting, the Bible clearly says that Lot was a righteous man, and that's why Lot was at the city gate to meet the angels. You know, if Lot had not been a righteous man, and Lot had not the character that he had, he wouldn't have been at the city gate to meet who he didn't even know were two angels coming to save him. But Lot lost his family, living in Sodom, even though Lot was a righteous man. To me, that cost is too great. Yes, Lot lost his family, including his two daughters. Now, they didn't die in Sodom like his other children, but they were lost. They became two nations that have warred against God's people all through history, even up to today, the Ammonites and the Moabites. Lot lost his family because... He had a lingering spirit. So our, our desire, as we share with you tonight, is not to tell you what God is asking you to do, but to ask you to do what God is asking you to do. Do you see the difference? Because we have no burden. We see the masses of the New Agers. It's incredible. Where we live in Montana is, has become a very popular place. Okay? So we say Montana is not the state of salvation. But you know what's tragic? is to watch some of the people that are moving out to the Northwest, the great Northwest. The New Age people are moving out. Do you know why? The New Age people are changing the way they eat. Do you know why? They're doing the, the very things that God has been asking us to do as a people, but they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. It's a power inside themselves that they're developing. And Montana is a great place. And the Idaho and you know, Northwest is a great place to do this. God wants to put his people in these same advantages. The health message that we have should not be the tail. It should be the head. We shouldn't wait until some other group makes it popular and say, we knew about that 100 years ago. Don't forget about us. But it wasn't popular until some other group made it popular. And then we want to say, yeah, yeah, we knew about that. Well, then why didn't you tell us? Well, we were embarrassed. Now you can go in about any restaurant and tell them you're a vegan, you know, total vegetarian. And they don't bat an eye. Did the Adventists make that popular? No. It's tragic, isn't it? The point is, what is God asking you to do? Are you taking time to know what saith my Lord concerning the matter? Lord, what would you have me to do? Where would you have me to be? Because if we're where he wants us to be, then we're the people that he wants to make us. So we need to look at where we're heading and find out if we're on the right path where God wants us. If not, it's time for a turning point in our life. Amen. And those turning points that God brings to us are simply to get us on the right course and not to be afraid of evaluating our path, evaluating our life, evaluating our circumstances, evaluating our choices, evaluating our love for God. Do we really love him? Or is it just something we grew up with because we've been raised in a Christian home? Evaluate those things and ask God to set our course straight. 
Amen. Turn us around, even if it's 180 degrees. Turn us around. Focus on Him, because that is where we will find the power to live this life here and the preparation of heart for the kingdom of God. Amen. Allison, you want to come up and share? Big smile on your face there. (laughs) She was five years old when we moved to Montana. I'm just so thankful that my parents didn't listen to the pressures around them, but that they did what God was asking them to do, even with the big unknowns before them. When we serve a known God, we don't have to be afraid of the unknowns. But we have something to fear when we're not serving the God that we know. Hmm. And I'm just so thankful that they made that choice to step out in faith and truly God opened up the doors. And I've often thought as I've gotten older, where would I be today if my parents had lingered in the city? Where would I be? What disadvantages would I have? And I can honestly say I don't think I would be the person I am today because I don't think I would have gotten to know God for who he is as my personal Savior now. And I'm so thankful that's the best gift my parents could have given me. Country living and a personal example, choosing themselves to live for Christ and helping me to find my own personal relationship with him. Then comes a time where, you know, you get older and now you have to find a career because Jesus hasn't come back yet. You know, we went out to the country. My parents thought we'd be there maybe 10 years or less and Jesus was going to come and, you know, we never hit college. Well, that came and went. And so you have to occupy till he comes back, right? He says, occupy till I come. And he has a work for each one of us to do. And so as young people, we need to be trained and educated in what God is calling us to do. But we have to know what that is. And so I had definitely felt the Lord's leading in pursuing massage therapy. I have loved doing that since I was about 12 years old. And for me, it was a toss-up between nursing and massage. And as I weighed what my greatest goals were and desires and what God was asking me to do, I went without a shadow of a doubt to massage therapy. And I made that based on real thoughtful decision, real thoughtful um, weighing and balancing all the different options out. But I knew that for me, I desired to help with the family ministry work. And if I pursued nursing, I would feel more locked down and tied down um, as far as more years in education. And then to make that worthwhile and to pay my bills, being hooked into a system to pay off the bills and to um, keep a regular schedule until I got seniority. And so I decided to pursue massage therapy since I enjoyed that just as much and because I would have a hard time just pushing medications when that's not really where my heart is. And I wanted more quality time to reach the heart of someone for the Lord. And so in my business in massage, I have been given an incredible opportunity to touch people's lives that may never step into a church but with the influence of the Holy Spirit working on their heart, maybe they'll give their lives to Jesus and be a testimony to reach their people. So I've been very thankful that I followed what God put in my heart, but that did mean that I had to leave the country setting that I had been raised in and return to the city. But because of being in the country, it gave me uh, a greater advantage to finding, like I said before, a personal experience with the Lord. And... Um, a foundation wherewith I could be secured and anchored while I was in the influences of the world. And I determined before I left home, because I was very fearful that those influences would start to break me down, because I had watched it happen to my friends. And so I committed that I would never leave my Bible untouched, that every day I would continue to have time in prayer and study. And that's a commitment that I'm so thankful I made before I went because when the pressures of tests and everything were on, I remembered my commitment to the Lord and I kept him first. And that is how he helped me to stand in that environment. And you know, while I was there and was doing very well scholastically with the Lord's blessing, um, people were coming to me and saying, you know, you really need to go on to physical therapy. You have it in you and you would be more useful for God if you would you know, take advantage of the talents you've already been given and pursue a a further education. God needs very educated people. Well, I really had to seriously think about that. Yes, the Lord does want his people to be educated, but what does he want me to do? What is he calling me to do? And I realized as I prayed about it that he was asking me to go into massage therapy and to stop it at that and go back and work for him in my home area with that gift. And that was, um, for me, because I'm very desirous of pleasing people, (laughs) 
Um, it was a great challenge because the closer it came to graduation, the harder the pressure came. Your way will be paid to go through school. I'm telling you, you'll have a place to live, a car to drive, and your tuition will be paid. Well, doesn't and that sound like it's from God? I mean, certainly. I mean, that, aren't those the things that would have kept me back? But it's not about money or position. It's about what does God want me to do. Amen. And so I made a choice again to not do what the people were pressuring me to do, but to do what God was asking me to do. And I was able to go back home after five months of education here in California um, and start a business called Need to Be Needed Therapeutic Massage. And I am very thankful that I put I did what God put in my heart because it has fulfilled my greatest heart's desire in that. And I've had incredible opportunities to share the Lord with my clients because of another commitment that I made. When I began my business, I said, Lord, I'm all by myself, and I really want you to be my partner. The very next thought I had was, will you be willing to pray with each one of your clients out loud? Now, I was very willing to pray, but I'm not somebody that likes to pray out loud with everybody when I don't know where they kind of stand on God and religion. Wouldn't that kind of seem very pushy as far as um, all of the... You know, you shouldn't really push religious things on people. And our country, even though it's a Christian place, is even getting more and more that way. I thought, I certainly wouldn't want to do that. I don't want to push people away from God by... And the Lord just put it in my heart. Are you willing to just offer to pray with them? And I thought, well, how can I deny God the very first thing he asked me to do after I asked him to be my partner, you know? (laughs) Sounds really bad. (laughs) And I should count it a privilege that I live in a country where I can still do that freely. And so I need to take advantage of this opportunity now. And really the bottom line was I was worried about how I would be viewed by my clients, potentially. That's really what it comes down to. I was not thinking about God, really. I was thinking about myself. And I, that made, God made that very clear to me, that it was very selfish of me to even question that. It was showing that I was ashamed of something. And do we have anything to be ashamed of when we're serving the God of the universe? Absolutely not. And so anyway, I'm so thankful that I made that commitment. And every new client that's come through my door, by God's grace, I've been able to offer to pray with each one of them. And I, have in three and a half years of business, have been turned down three times. Amazing. And there's been people that have come through the door, and I just thought, oh, Lord, are you sure? I mean, this person, I really don't think. I think this would be an agitation and an unnecessary, you know, maybe I could plant the seeds a little more subtly in this one. And... The Lord has just never not given me permission. The only time he let me off of the hook, so to speak, was when a, a lady who couldn't speak my language came in, and she was very insecure about the whole thing. And I realized to say, can I pray with you, when she couldn't really understand what she didn't know what was going on. That was the one exception I've had. And I was so thankful that the Lord never let me off the hook before because the one man who refused... That ended up being an hour and a half Bible study, as far as I'm concerned. That was the first Bible study I ever gave without a Bible. He was so taken back that a girl would ask him if I could pray with him. And he was like, so, so what do you really believe? And, well, how does that differ from any other church? And he just started asking me question after question. And before long, you know, his heart was so softened. It was incredible. And as we were going through this experience, I mean, I was just like, Lord, I mean, he's asking such deep questions. I mean, I'm about to offend him at any moment here, I'm pretty sure, you know, and I was trying to think of tactful ways to say things, you know, because we need to present it the best we can. And God's truth is not a stumbling block when we, when we um, say it just as it is. It's only a stumbling block when we get ourselves in the way of it. We need to say the truth just as it is. And, you know, he said he was so grateful for the work that I did. He said, you, not only did you give a great massage, but I really appreciated the conversation we had. Mm-hmm. He said, I'll be back. I thought, wow, here I thought I was going to lose him over this. You know, he couldn't wait to get out the door. And here he wants to come back. And I guess what I'm just trying to help you to catch the vision of is it's not about us. It's about what does God want us to do? We're here to finish the work. We want Jesus to come back. We don't want to stay in this world any longer. And he's waiting for you and I to take him as our personal Lord and Savior and work for him as we've never worked before, just letting him work through us. He's not coming back to show us how to live again. He needs to show the world how he lives in us. Then he will come back to take his own home when his image is reflected in us perfectly. 
Then he will say, these are my children. They don't belong in this world anymore. They belong in a heavenly land. And then he'll take us home. And we have a privilege of of being responsible as Christians, a Seventh-day Adventist, to bear the light without shame, facedness, before a world that is dying to know him. And we can be that shining light. And if that's here, then shine here. And if God's saying get out, then trust him and get out. And he will have a mission field out there for you, and he will send you from the mountain to the multitude and back to the mountain again. We have to keep God first no matter what we're doing in life. In my business, you know, living in the mountains, you might say, well, you you don't have to struggle with that. Every day I have to make a conscious choice to take time for God or he would be cut out of my life because there's so much to do. Even working for God, there's so much to do. We can't afford to be so busy working for God that we have no time for Him. If God is working in us, we will be the most effective in working for Him, wherever that is. So I guess I'm just so thankful that country living was God's chosen path for us and that that turning point in my parents' life became the stepping stone for um, the advantages that I found now in my life in choosing Him for my Lord and Savior. Amen. So, Allison, stay here. We'll sing this song. Josiah, you want to tell them about the song, how you wrote the the tune to it? We don't have a guitar. Well, when my father um, told me as I got older that these were this verse that he shared with you folks tonight was one that he clung to when when they left the city and they were making decisions to um, step out in faith and they were dealing with a lot of unknowns, that they clung to these promises and at each step... God was able to open the door for them. I just thought, wow, this was really very impactful in their lives, and this was a very special verse, especially to my father. And so I said, Lord, you know, if it's your will, please put a song in my heart that would fit with these words that I could always also remember these verses because usually when I have them to song, I can memorize scripture much easier. And so it just came like that. And so then I called Father into my room and I said, I want to sing you a song, Father. And I played on my guitar and I sang the song and it just really touched his heart that, you know, 10 years down the track after he had clung to those promises, um, it was now being sung by his daughter, especially for him. A bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness, and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and I will bring the blind by a way that they knew not Before them and crooked things straight, these things will I do unto them and not forsake them. Shall I just close with prayer? Shall we kneel together as we pray? Father in heaven, what a precious promise that you will bring the blind by a way they knew not. 
What a promise that you will not forsake us. Father, we need you. We need to be changed by the power that comes through your Holy Spirit. We need to be still and know that you are God. We need to be still and know what you want us to do. And then we need to receive the grace and the power that you provide to do just what you would have us to do. And so tonight, we ask that you will reveal your will to each one each one of us here and that you will give us the grace and strength to follow that will. In Jesus' name, amen.